happy for all of you that are here. I want all of you to turn with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we are looking at the communion chapter in the epistles. This is where Paul speaks about the communion service that we have. And it's when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And last week we talked to you about the Lord breaking the bread and giving the cup and his instructions to them on how they were to love God and then also to love each other. Today, I'm going to turn the coin over because at the communion last supper, there was a dark side to it. And I'm going to talk to you on the other side of the coin this morning. The other side of the coin. And I want to really talk to your hearts. I want you to put your feet in, buckle your seatbelt, hang on. And uh, I'm going to talk to you from my heart here this morning. Because the Lord does not want any of us to be lost. I'm going to read some scriptures to you and then I'm going to get into my subject here and my message that I want to present to you here this morning. But if you look with us, I'm going to read the same verse that I read to you last uh, week to start our Bible study. And that is chapter 11, verse 23. Chapter 23. This is... The first Corinthians eleven twenty three, and it says, "For I have received of the Lord." This is Paul writing. I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And then last week we talked about how he took bread and he broke it and so forth. And today I want you to look at the part. And the same night in which he took bread, he was betrayed. I'm reversing it. He was betrayed. I want to talk to you about the betrayal, Judas Iscariot. Because one of his disciples betrayed Jesus the very night that they took, received communion. And I want you to turn with us as well with that verse of scripture. If you look in St. John chapter 13. St. John chapter 13. John goes into a little detail about what happened here and I'm going to just read just choice scriptures through this chapter so we don't get bogged down into a lot of reading here but in St. John 13 2 it says in supper being ended this is Jesus' last supper with his disciples and uh, verse 4 says he riseth from supper and then the Lord begins to talk to them about some things and finally in verse 21 In verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. One of you shall betray me. Verse 23, I'm saving time by skipping a few verses along the way and hitting the the key verses. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples let me just say this, the way they said, this is not like uh, Da Vinci's painting of the Lord's Supper where they're all sitting at a table like we sit at a table. But the way they were sitting at a table was in a lounge position. They would sit on their left arm and their feet would be back behind them like in a lounge position and they'd eat with their right hand. And John was to his right, which means he was in his bosom. 
and others the other one to his left would be behind him and he would be in that person's bosom you understand what i'm saying the the feet was not straight behind him it was on an angle and so this is the way they were seated around the table this was a very common way of eating uh, back in those days so when it says here now verse 23 now there was leaning on jesus's bosom and this is speaking of the position that john was in he was like for for instance on jesus's right uh, he and then he says whom jesus loved we know this is john because there's five places in the book of john where jesus where john's writing the book of john spoke of himself as that disciple whom jesus loved he never said and john did this or john did that he says simply that disciple whom jesus loved and he said it because he said if there's anything i know it is that jesus loves me and so he was expressing that the five places in john that he said that this is one of the ones that he said that in I was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, which is John. Simon Peter, therefore, verse 24, beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. And Peter said, then he said, because he said, one of you betrayed me. And Jesus, John is in that position that he could easily, easily ask Jesus. And Peter is over in another part of it. He said, psst, psst, ask him who it is, who it is. And John is sitting there and listening to Peter. What? You know, they ask him who it is. Who is going to betray him? They look all look at each other, you know. And, really, and so look at verse 25. He being lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him. In other words, he turned his head over like this. And Jesus is there. He turns his head over to him. This is that position I'm telling you about. It's not like he's sitting in a chair and laying over on Jesus. It's not like that. And so uh, he lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Then verse 26, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. A sop is taking a piece of bread or something of that nature and you dip it in some sauce. Dip it in the sauce. A lot of people used to eat that way. They dip sauce and eat bread like that and so forth. And uh, people used to eat syrup that way. And, you know, some of you are all familiar with that and everything. But anyhow, Jesus said, whoever dips the sop, when I have dipped it, because in the customary way of doing things, then the, the, uh, the host would sometimes dip something in some sauce and give it to a very special guest at the table. It was an act of very special guests that he would do that for and to. So Jesus said to him, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. Now look at verse 30. And this is the part that jolted me to my socks. And I want to talk to you extensively about this. He then having received the sop went immediately out and it was night. It was night. He went out into the night. And I have titled this thought here today out into the night because when you leave Jesus Christ you go out into the night. Now think about Judas's care. He had been with the Lord three and a half years. He had seen all of his miracles. 
He had seen eyes open, the lame walk. He had seen the dead brought back to life again. He had seen the thousands fed with one piece of bread or just a few loaves of bread. And he fed 5,000 at one time. Men besides women and children. Another time he fed 4,000 men besides women and children. I mean like 10,000 people. He fed them with just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish in his hand. Now Judas had seen all of that. Every bit of that he had seen that. But whenever he knew that Jesus was not going to be the Messiah that would say, all right, guys, strap on your sword. We're going to take, we're going to drive the Romans out. We're going to take Israel back and we're going to set up a kingdom here that's going to be the most powerful on the face of the earth. When he saw that Jesus was not going in that direction, but Jesus was talking about the crucifixion, Judah says, I want out of this. I don't want no part of it. I'm out of it. Even though he had seen all the miracles that Jesus did and all the things that the Lord did. But Judas decided that this was not what he wanted. Now hear me very closely here today. I want to talk to you today. Because we who walk for God. I'm I'm talking to Christians who walk with God now. We who walk with God, folks, we've got to stay in the faith. You've got to stay close to Jesus. We're living in the last days. And the Lord's coming soon. But don't you think for a moment that Satan hasn't given up on all of his tricks and his schemes and his tactics to try to get you to fail the Lord and to walk away from the Lord and say, I can't make it or it's not going to happen or it's not what I thought it would be or I thought God would be different than that or I I thought, I thought, I thought. And I'm going to try to show you some things in the word of the Lord here to help us to stay steadfast in the Lord. First of all, when we come to the Lord, God does something very wonderful for all of us. We don't think of it maybe like that, but it's there. And that is God puts an umbrella of protection and an umbrella of provision over us. We are under that umbrella when we come to the Lord. We're baptized in Jesus' name. We ask God to give us the Holy Ghost. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, ask the Lord to give it to you with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That way nobody can ever tell you you don't have it. You know you have it because you spoke with other tongues. That's the way the early church received it. I don't know why we should be any different than that. That some people try to say, oh, tongues is not for us today. I beg, I beg to differ with you. <laughs> it is for us today. There's too many people that's got it. Praise the Lord. You can't just a few handful of people say, oh, tongues is not for us today. Well, there's millions of people on the face of the earth that have the gift. The Holy Ghost, have the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking other tongues and speaking other tongues and speaking a different language and I've heard people say that knew one language that didn't know this language they knew what the other person was saying because they spoke in that language so for this there God will give it to you if you don't have it now I want you to turn with me to Psalms 33 18 for a moment let me show you uh, uh, just a sample of God's umbrella 33 18 I'm going to read some choice verses here Psalms 33:18. This is a, an example of God's umbrella upon his people. <clears throat> Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Verse 19. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Verse 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Verse 21. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Verse 22. 
Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, upon us, according as we hope in thee. The mercy of the Lord be upon us. Now I'm jumping in verse 34. That's the very next uh, psalm, not verse, but psalm. Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Sometimes you talk to the Lord and tell God, Lord, let your angels be encamped round about me. Pray for your children. Lord, let your, your, let your uh, angels be encamped round about them. I pray that all the time. You know, they had all this school shooting stuff. My daughter is a principal of, a, of an elementary school. I pray for that school every day. I pray for her every day. I pray for every teacher in that school every day. I pray for all those children in that school every day. And then I added by saying, Lord, let your angels be encamped around about that old school. I'm just trying to tell you here, folks, that the Bible gives us the right to call upon him for these things. I can show you the Bible where when Jacob came back from the land that he had gotten his wives and was going back to Canaan's land, that the angels were there and they were up on the sides of the cliff and they were watching him. And the, his wife, one of his wives says, who, who are they? Who are those? Who are those warriors? He said, those are the angels of God. And they are keeping your eye upon us. He knew that. And the Lord let him see it. And he let her see it. Praise the Lord that they might know that the angels had camped around about it. I don't want to give you many stories about it. But just remember, in that invisible world that we don't know, that spiritual world, God has angels around us. You walk with God and you serve the Lord. And that umbrella of God's protection is on us. The angels of God, praise the Lord, are around about us. And they watch over us. Praise the Lord. Trust me on that. It's in the word of God. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm here in 34, 8 of Psalms. <clears throat> oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the, is, him, he, is the man that trusteth in him. Verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Do you see that verse? Amen. If you've got your Bibles, underline it. Just put a line under it. I've got, got a red line under mine in mine. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. God will keep his hand on you. You take care of us. Verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Notice good thing. <laughs> you may want something bad, you don't know, you just want it. But if it's not the right thing, God may not give it to you. Say, oh, God didn't give me what I want. Well... Maybe it was the wrong thing that for us to have. Okay? But he will not keep any good thing from us. Everybody say praise the Lord. So thank God he keeps from us the things that's maybe not so good or things that's bad. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. I'm talking about the umbrella of God's protection and care here. Verse 17 down through 19. The righteous cry in the Lord heareth and delivered them out of all their troubles. Put a ring around the word all if you've got your Bibles. He delivered them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh or near unto them that are of a broken heart. Sometimes you can have a broken heart. Doesn't mean God's forsaken you or forgotten you. He's near. He's there. And save it such as be of a contrite spirit. That's like you just, oh, just things went bad and went wrong. You don't know what to do and everything. You don't get mad at God. You don't get mad at, at the world. You don't get mad at people. I mean, you don't get mad at your fellow man. You just say, God, I know your hand's upon everything. 
Lord, I praise you and I love you. You just keep on praising God. If you ever get so down, so down and so discouraged, you don't know what to do. You get down on your knees and say, Jesus, I praise you. You start praising God and see if God doesn't start sending a wave of his Holy Ghost upon you. And letting you know he hasn't forgotten you. He's right, he's right there. He's, he knows everything going on. Praise the Lord. And God will never forsake you. The word says it. It says, many are the afflictions, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivered him out of them all. He that keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. Look at verse 22. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Underline that, praise the Lord. None of them that trust in him shall be desolate. So I'm just giving you some, uh, just a scripture in the Bible is filled with all kinds of psalms like this about the Lord's uh, wonderful hand of protection. His, I call it the umbrella of God's protection. When you come to God, you have that on you. You have that on you. Now, what can happen when we're walking with God? Uh, I want you to turn to a verse of scripture that's found in Hebrews 12.1. If you look at this verse of scripture with us. I want to talk to you a moment for about the besetting sin. And here's what the writer of Hebrews wrote to the church. That's us. This is 12.1 of Hebrews. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. These are all the people who have lived for God faithfully. And they've gone on to be with the Lord. And Paul referred to them as a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, these people made it, you can make it. They're witnesses that you can make it. And so this great cloud of witnesses, he says, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. And let us run this race with patience. Lay aside every weight. What is weight, brother? Weight's all those little things sometimes we can... You know, get all hung up on and worrying about and fretting about and involved in and little things that go on and on and on. There are things that do not enhance your walk with God or lift you up in walking with God. They're, they become weights in your life. And anything that starts pulling you away from God, pulling you down in your faith, taking away faith out of your heart, lay them aside. Let's lay aside every weight. And Paul's talking about running the race with patience. Let's lay aside all these weights so we can run, praise the Lord, and be faithful to God because we're going to receive a crown at the end. So it goes on to say, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, the sin. There is a sin that does so easily besets us. Now, beset means to war against. If a city in ancient times was, had a wall around it and an alien army came against it, they would, they would surround that city and they would beset it. That means nobody goes in or out. They'd war against it, war against it. Sometimes they succeeded and they invaded the city. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they lost and they had to walk away and leave it. And the city won. But anyhow, they beset the city and they warred against it. So this is what the word beset means here. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin, the sin that does so easily beset us now let me tell you what the besetting sin is with the human race 
the besetting sin is our ego it's my my what I think I am is me wanting to be somebody It's me wanting to be somewhat it's that ego of the human nature that can make us rise up and be so high and mighty that we think we're more than what we are this is why the Bible talks about pride goeth before destruction and a haughty heart before a fall because that spirit that can get a hold of any of us can cause us to lose out with God and what happens is that as our spirit gets all lifted up with this pride and arrogancy next thing you know it's not my it's not thy will be done but it's my will be done when Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane he said father not my will but thy will be done but you see in our own spirit of arrogancy and pride that besetting sin that can just is always wanting to make you feel like you ought to be more and you ought to be greater and you ought to be high and you ought to be lifted up and you ought to be something and you ought to be this and you ought to be that and, and all of this kind of stuff can make us feel like that we need to be we need to be lifted up and not the Lord it's not God's will but it's my will that be to be done and so what happens even when we're walking with God we can have all of a sudden I want my will done not God's will done and this can be a detrimental thing and it's that besetting sin is always warring against us is something that has been there since day one and the Lord warns us not to cave into that spirit see when we come to God we yield our spirit to his spirit we, we repent before God we cry sometimes we say God you know I'm sorry for all of my sins and we yield our way to the Lord that God gives us joy peace and happiness but Satan to come back around and said oh now who are you where are you you know look at what's going on over there out there yonder way and you're not into it you're not part of blah 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 you're missing out and the devil will go on and on with this kind of stuff and you have to say no sir not my will but his will be done I'm in the will of God I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm hearing the preaching of the word of God. God is blessing me, I feel that umbrella protection and his provision upon me. The Bible will never let you go hungry without, but some people say, oh, I don't want to just be hungry without, I want to be rich, I want to be really somebody, I really would blah, 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 blah. And that's that besetting sin that can get a hold of any one of us, and, it, and if we allow, it does, it's that besetting sin. Uh, let me give you this is what happened to Satan this is the sin of Satan is the besetting sin let me show you in the book of Ezekiel uh, if you go back over to uh, let's go to Isaiah first let's go to Isaiah 14 12 Isaiah 14 12 I got two places I'm gonna read some scripture here to you I'm talking about this besetting sin here that can war against the war against our spirit and this is what happened this is Satan's sin this is 1412 how art thou fallen from heaven O Lucifer son of the morning how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations for thou hast said in thine heart I will ascend unto heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God now Lucifer was an angel of the Lord God created him he made him but he made him with a will God made us with a will he didn't make us without a will 
He gave us the will so that we can exercise the choice of whether we want to belong to him or whether we want to do our own thing, our own way, and go our, and, and, and whatever way that takes us. And so the Lord has given all of us a will, and he gave, he, has given, he gave the angels a will, so that nobody is forced to serve him and be subject unto him and because they have no will. He, they have a choice. So the angels, when he created them, he gave them a will. And so this was Lucifer. This is what happened to him. He said, verse 13, I'm going to read it again. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon, also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You see, you see what happened with him. This, this sin of trying to be equal with God or high and lifted up. Yet, it says, verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, another verse of scripture that goes along with that one is one found in Ezekiel. And uh, if you look at Ezekiel 28, 12, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so here it is again, 28, 12, son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, the prince of Tyrus is mentioned in verse 1. That's the man that was the ruler over the city of Tyrus. But now he talks about the king of Tyrus, which is a spirit, a spirit that was over that city. And take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God, as a serpent, as you know. Satan came to or Adam and Eve as a serpent. Every precious stone was I covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the, saf the sapphire, the emerald, and so forth. Right on down to the end, I won't name all these, but right at the end of that uh, 13th verse, it says, and uh, was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. You got a pen, underline the word created. In other words, this is not talking about a person born. This is talking about the angels created. This was Lucifer. Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub. Cherub is an angel that covereth. And I have set thee so. God says, I put you there. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 15, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created until or till iniquity was found in thee right. so when satan began to say oh i want to be somebody i want to be greater than god i want to be like god i want to be higher than god and then all of a sudden that spirit comes in here and iniquity is found in him i'm going to jump down to save time here it goes on to talk about him being that covering cherub in verse 60 verse 17 thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty thou hast corruption Corrupted thy wisdom from reason of thy brightness. Verse 18, I'm saving time. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. Then it goes on down here, saying, I will devour thee at 18th verse. I will devour thee and will bring thee to ashes upon the earth, the sight of them, and so forth. And then valley verse down 19. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. And God will destroy Satan. 
He leaves them around so that we who could be tempted and will be tempted and doesn't want to serve God, he becomes their master. You understand what we're saying here? Because God's not going to force anybody to go to heaven. We all have a will and everything. That's why he made us, why he made us. Uh, oh, we'll look over very quickly over here in Revelations. I'm going to give you the end of Satan. 20 and 10. That's an easy verse to remember. Revelation 20 and 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They're already there because God tossed them in there a thousand years before that. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And there's one place where it says that this is made for the devil and his angels. Hell is made for the devil. So what I'm pointing out to you here, folks, is that this is that besetting. And if we're not careful, we can allow Satan to tempt us and try to come to us and say, oh, you don't have to listen to God. You don't have to listen to that preacher. You don't have to listen to the word of God. You don't have to believe the Bible. The Bible is not right. The Bible is not true. That's, that's what he did with Adam and Eve. Satan came to Adam and Eve. Have God said? First thing he does is question the word of God. Believe the word of God. You know, we take the word and we read it. We said, you know, I believe the word of God. That's faith. You believe the word of God. My dad used to tell me, son, you can take a good man at his word. How much more so can we take God at his word? You know, you can take a good man at his word. I made a, I made a deal on, bu on buying some property one time from a guy on a handshake. I knew him. I knew him. He said, agreed, agreed. Sure, we didn't put no money down to sign no contract. We just, made a, we just made arrangements to make a sale about a month later on a handshake. Because I took him at his word. You understand what I'm saying? I said, he was a good man. I knew that. And I think he trusted me the same way. Now, what I'm trying to say here, if we can take a good man at his word, we can take God at his word. And this is his word here. And believe in his word. And sometimes when you feel you, the rug's been pulled out from under, you feel discouraged or you feel like you just you don't know how you're going to make it. Get the word down and start reading it. The Lord has an amazing way of guiding you to the right scriptures to lift your spirit, to give you an answer, to encourage you, to let you know what you need to see and read that you might do the right thing. It's an amazing thing how God would use his word to talk to us if we will allow the Lord to do that. And if we will proceed that with prayer or talk to God or, or do it with prayer, I want you to know that God will always guide us straight. <clears throat> and you'll live for God and you'll walk with him. you see yourself through trials and tests and along the way because they will come that we might be tried in this life so that one day we walk streets of gold. Amen. Praise God. Glory to his name. And so God is faithful. God is true. And there's nothing in the world that God will not do. Praise the Lord. So Satan's end will happen. But it's possible that any of us could be lost. Any of us could be lost. Uh, look at Psalms 37.25 for a moment. This is a verse that I love. 37.25 If for no other reason live for God for your children's sake I'm going to tell you a story in just a, in just a moment Live for God for your children's sake Look at this verse in 37.25 As an old pastor told me this years ago when my daughter was just a baby and I never forgot it and I've been reading it over and over not all the time but once in a while I'll go back to it and reread it just a reminder of what's, what it's worth 
to live for God. Look what it says. I've been old, I've been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken. Powerful. Okay, but look at the next line. Nor his seed begging bread. I said, God, it's worth living for you just for my children's sake. You know, it's worth living for God for the children's sake. Or his seed. That's his children and his grandchildren. You know, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. They may not always be walking with God like they should, but they're not going to go hungry. They're not going to be starving. They tell me that during the Great Depression in America, you never saw any Jew in a suit line. All we, a lot of we Gentiles were there, I guess. I wasn't there. I remember my parents or maybe or something like that. But no Jew was in a soup line. I've heard them say that. You didn't see Jews. The Jews always seemed to fare okay. The seed of Abraham, the righteous. So I'm just trying to say it's worth living for God, for your children's sake. I'm going to tell you a story, if I can allow to do that here. When I first got saved, there was a young man that got saved with me. His name was Roy. He got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. He and I lived for God and walked with God, went to, went to rallies and youth services and had prayer meetings together. We both had a call to the ministry. I started preparing to go to Bible school in St. Paul, and he did to a, for a season, but then decided not to go. There was a young lady in the church. We were saved in Niceville, Niceville, Florida, which is north of Fort Walton, about 18 miles north of Fort Walton Beach. And there was a young lady in that church, beautiful young lady, nice group of young people. This was an outstanding Christian, Holy Ghost-filled young lady. And in time, after I went to Bible school, they got married. And then in time, they went out into the ministry. And I remember coming home one year from Bible school and going to see them. And they were doing a little home missionary church. And they were so happy. And I never will forget her, Becky, saying to me, uh, Ellis, we have nothing, but we are so happy. God is so good. God's presence. And she said, I've never been so happy in all my life. And he was the same way. They're doing the work of God, doing the work of God. Along the way, he, get, he, got it, he had to work for a living, so he started getting into painting contractor or plastering contractor. And he got to doing this contractor work. The next thing I know, the big building contractor would invite them to dinners and banquets. They'd go there and there's always wine, 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 wine. He later told me, he said, I saw that wine sitting there and one day I decided to take a sip of it in the banquet. And then the next time they had a banquet, I took two, two sips of it, a little bit more. And they started sipping on the wine a little bit. And then, you know, he was making good money, but he heard that there was a big job down in Miami. He went to Miami, became a contractor, plaster doing hotels. I mean, big time contractor, plastering was all is outside and inside back in those days. I mean, they were big jobs for plaster, and doing the painting, had a painting contractor, and was making money like crazy. He and Becky, they got out of the church. Didn't have time for church anymore. They were just rolling in making money and all kind of stuff. They had three children, had two daughters, and then finally had 
they had a daughter and they were about three about three or four years apart then they had a son about five years apart from him them and everything his name was tony and they were they were just uh growing up in miami doing great next thing you know they got into bowling they were drinking beer down the bowling alley and they got to winning trophies and they bought a big home in miami and they had trophies i mean rooms full of these big shelves full of trophies that they had won in the bowling league he'd have all of his employees come over somebody came over and they'd bring some whiskey and they'd all start nipping on the whiskey then somebody else started they got in they they got a hold of some some dope they brought in some dope and they started doing the dope thing and they all started getting high a little bit still rolling in the dough and making the money the kids are all growing up in this kind of an atmosphere his daughters begin to get into that alcohol and dope factor and i had we had already moved here some 45 years ago they were living down in west palm beach florida and i got a call one day and he said my oldest daughter was killed in a car wreck she's like 22 years old killed in a car wreck because she was high on drugs i went down to the funeral and roy came up to me and said uh, ellis would you speak at the funeral i said yes and i spoke at the funeral it was all over with wished them all well becky was drinking heavily just to keep numb at the loss of her daughter would you believe would you believe they kept on with their lifestyle never changed it just a few years later i don't know if it was two or three or four i can't remember i got another call that second daughter was killed in a car wreck high on drugs killed in a car wreck would you come down yes i'll be down there when i got there they approached me and said would you speak at her funeral too i did i spoke at her funeral and i talked to them i said listen live for god walk for the god next time i got a call from them they had divorced becky had become an alcoholic total alcoholic drinking she had moved back to niceville florida the little town that they came out of when she used to be in the church beautiful child of god and that's a little saint a young lady she had moved back in there they had that one son that was there in west palm he was doing pretty good tony clayton remarried i got a call and he said would you come down ellis and pay me a visit okay he was on his deathbed dying of cancer 61 years old dying of cancer he said i don't have long to live and he said i just want you to come down and pray for me you know and i prayed for him and everything and i went came back up here and sometime i don't know whether it was weeks or so later or a month or so later i heard that he had passed away he was cremated in his ashes thrown out upon the sea I was at my dad's funeral in Pensacola. He was buried in Niceville. In the Niceville, there's a family cemetery where my grandmothers are buried, great-grandmothers, great-uncles. I mean, it goes way back. It's a family cemetery. My dad was buried there. My mother's buried there. And I went when my brother and I were walking through the cemetery, going back to that area where my family was buried. And he said, look over here, Ellis. And I walked over there. And it says there her name, Becky, and I won't say their last name, Becky. I said, she died? He said, yep, she died a total alcoholic. She's buried right here. Becky is buried. Clayton's gone. Becky's gone. The two oldest daughters gone. I said, what about Tony? He said, he's okay. He still lives in Miami. He's building. 
I said, I hope Tony makes it. The last thing I ever said to Tony, Tony, when you get a chance, get back in the church and live for God. I'm telling you the truth. Just a few years ago, about three or four years ago, I was in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. And I went to Brother Tom Bush's church. I was speaking there and everything. And I said, I said Tom, do you, have you ever heard from Tony? You know, they're uh, Roy and uh, Becky's uh, son that lived down in West Palm. He said to me, Ellis, he moved back up here. And he was an alcoholic. He drank all the time. And just last year, this has been a couple of two, about three years ago. Just last year, he was frozen to death out in the woods, sleeping out in the woods, drunk. Now all the children are gone. The mother and the father are gone. The children are gone because they went their own way. Because they got out from under that protection. And I'm trying to tell you folks that we can say, oh, Ben, there's all kinds of things waiting for me out there. But it's all a trick of the enemy. That's right. And I never and I forget visiting them when they didn't have anything. And they said, we are so happy. We are so happy. God is so good. The blessing to the Lord. And they were so happy. And yet that all changed. Because Satan has a way. Adam and Eve had eternal life in the garden. And Satan came there and said, oh, you know, in the day that you live here, you shall not die. He lied. Satan always lies. Don't ever listen to him. He lies. Amen. When he told Jesus, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, he lied. That's all he does. He's a liar. He doesn't have power over that. I can show you in Daniel where it says that all the powers of the heavens, all the powers on earth, the Lord has control of all of them. Satan doesn't have control of it. But he tried to tempt Jesus like that. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You know, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And everything. And he went on and Jesus was victorious and everything. But he was trying to appeal to the flesh or tempt the flesh of Jesus Christ. Who was God manifest in flesh. I'm just trying to tell all of us here today, folks. Let's walk with God. Let's serve the Lord of all things. Let's stay faithful to the Lord. Now I'm going to read the last verse here. What happened with Judas's care? He went out into the night. And uh, let me just show you something here. And I'm going to finish up with this. I'm reading here back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We talked all about the breaking of the bread and so forth. Look down at verse 27. When you take, receive communion, look at this closely. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Unworthily. It does not say unworthy. We are all unworthy. We are all unworthy to receive communion. I can be honest with you. But this doesn't say unworthy. It says unworthily. That means that you are doing things, living a lifestyle, secretly going in a certain direction. There goes our lights. It's coming back on again. <laughs> secretly doing some kind of a thing like this uh, that's, that's hidden away. And you think you're getting away with it. I'm not saying there's anybody here like that. I don't know a soul in here like that. But I'm just trying to say here, <clears throat> it can be that way. <clears throat> and if we're not careful, we can think, oh, we're getting away with it. Then we come into the table and we receive communion. Be careful that we do not receive communion unworthily. Unworthily. When we should not be partaking of the Lord's Supper. In other words, we're like Judas's carrion. 
we are scheming something in our head or in our minds or in our hearts and we're not where we should be with the Lord and I'm telling you that so that we'll all be aware that this is what Satan would have any of us to do and we'll read this last verse 28 but let a man examine himself this is what we do at communion when you come down to receive communion while we bless the Lord and praise the Lord let's also say God if there's anything in my heart that shouldn't be there if I've got a hatred in my heart, if I've got malice, if I'm doing something that's wrong, you let me know and I'll straighten it up. If there's anything that I, you know, and God has a way of letting us know where we are in all these things. I mean, you know, he'll let us know. And we've all been there, I'm sure, one time or another, and God lets us know that we are not where we should be with him. And God can do that. And when we do, when we take receive communion, it's not only to say, Lord, thank you for the bread and the blood of Jesus at Calvary, but also, Lord, let me not be guilty of anything that you're unpleased with, Lord. But let me correct the issue and correct the situation. And then receive communion. Praise the Lord. And this is the way it is to be received and the way it's done. But God loves his people, folks. He wants every one of us to make to heaven. And the Lord, in the night that, in the night, praise the Lord, that he took, they received communion, that he was also betrayed. Don't ever forget that side of it. And don't ever betray the Lord. One day the Lord's coming and it won't be long. He's coming back for his church, coming back for his people. He's coming back for those that love him, folks. And whenever he does, it'll all be worth it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together and just worship God and thank him and praise his name right now. All of us together. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your correction. Thank you for the love that you have put in our hearts for you and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the communion table and what it means and what it represents. Thank you for that early church and for the writing of the apostles and the word of God that they passed along to us. We give the praise and glory for all things in Jesus' name.